Hi everyone, and welcome! My name is Cory. And I'm Lucia, and we are the hosts of Reading Materials, a bookish podcast in which we take it in turns to select a book or series of books, read it, and then discuss it on the show. We would like to warn listeners that this episode may contain content that some find upsetting. Please refer to the show notes for specific time points. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Three. Wait, do we go on one or after one? I usually Is it three, go, two, one? I usually go after. Clap. Okay, cool. Right. Three, two, one. <laughs> I don't know how good that was, but I don't really care. <laughs> it always aligns. In yes, it does. So that's fine. Exactly. Yes. So, hello. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm very good. We've already updated each other on our lives and realized there's nothing new. There's nothing new since we last spoke. Um, no. And there isn't anything that we wanted to catch up on from the previous episode because that was a very standalone book. And I think yes, it left us. I think this one is as well. <laughs> feeling very hollow. And yes. I was actually listening to the episode yesterday and I messaged you and I said, mm. I like how at the end we said, hopefully next time we'll talk about something a bit more uplifting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to listening to it because we've sort of slightly changed how we were editing now. So we're doing it one each. Whereas when we first started, we were doing, we'd both work on the episode. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit, it's a bit more of a reveal this time. You, you had it with my foundation. Yes, I think yeah. you're doing foundation and you're doing Darker yeah. Shades. And yeah. then I did Beekeeper. Yeah. So what the listeners don't know is that I've had real computer issues and my computer essentially just, we, we downloaded a Windows update and it said, no, that's it. I'm, I'm broken permanently now. So oh. I've just got Will's laptop today, and uh, I'm hoping one day to have my own new one, but that's uh, that's for later. That depends how much podcasting we do, because it's the only thing that I use the podcast for, uh, the, the computer for, apart from work, <laughs> which is a different one. Anyway, um, I've, we should say I'm Corrie, and this is the Reading Materials podcast. Yes, and I'm Lucia, and yeah. I also only really use my laptop for recording podcasts. So I've also been thinking, should I get a new laptop? Because I'm working on my work laptop, and mm. and I, I'm I'm convinced. Yeah, we'll see how one. it goes. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So yeah. I suppose we can just jump straight in, and this week we're talking about the Book of Lost Things by John Connolly. Yeah. It was my choice and I chose it for much the same reason that I chose many other books which is this was recommended by my friend Neve and she recommended it maybe I think it's 3 years ago now and I put it on my TBR list and promptly forgot that it was there and it was the perfect opportunity to read it. The Book of Lost Things by John Connolly High in his attic bedroom, 12-year-old David mourns the death of his mother, with only the books on his shelf for company. But those books have begun to whisper to him in the darkness. Angry and alone, he takes refuge in his imagination, 
and soon finds that reality and fantasy have begun to meld. While his family falls apart around him, David is violently propelled into a world that is a strange reflection of his own, populated by heroes and monsters and ruled by a faded king who keeps the secrets in a mysterious book, The Book of Lost Things. Good. And did you enjoy it? Yes and no. Um, it was absolutely not what I thought it was going to be. No, same. No. <laughs> um, so maybe before we start with um, the in-depth kind of analysis, we can just talk about the author a little bit. Yep. So John Connolly is an Irish author. He was born in the 1960s. And before he became a published writer, he worked as a journalist. And I suppose he's best known for his crime novels, which feature an anti-hero called Charlie Parker. And he's mm -hmm. written many, many books in this series. In fact, the 21st book is going to be published this year. Mm. So I haven't read anything by him before. I realized, though, that I do have one of his books back in Slovakia, but I haven't read oh. it. And, How weird. And it is part of the Charlie Parker series. Um, it's called The Black Angel. I think it's the most famous one that he's written. And The Book of Lost Things is kind of, I don't think his usual style. I think it's quite a standalone um, coming-of-age story. Yeah. So I have no idea what his other books are like. So I can't really judge on that, but but um, this book was pretty pretty twisted. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Yes, I I I'm really interested to know why he wrote it, mm -hmm. and who he wrote it for, <laughs> because when I first started it, I really thought it was a book of fairy tales for children. Mm -hmm. This is not an appropriate book for children. No. <laughs> no, it's not. And I'm, um, I would hesitate to call it, well, maybe it is young adult, but it's really dark. Yeah, it's very dark. I couldn't really find anything online about his motivations um, for writing this book, so I really can't mm. speculate. But I think I was kind of the same as you, that I thought it was going to be kind of a lighthearted fantasy book. Yes, I knew that it probably would have some heavy topics because I knew from the synopsis that it's about a boy who's lost his mother and he's coming to terms with her death. So, but I just thought that maybe he would just get lost in like a light fairy tale. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the horrific world that he does get lost in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I've really thought that it was going to be... I knew that Jonathan and Anna were going to feature in there somewhere, so those are his, um, the uncle of his stepmother and mm -hmm. his brother, so, no, daughter, sister, female, relative, <laughs> adopted sister, and um, I really thought that it was going to be them finding Jonathan and Anna, him finding Jonathan and Anna and rescuing them from the world, which I suppose in a way did happen, but I thought it was going to be much more 
traditional in the <laughs> way that it went about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I thought that he would rescue them necessarily. I did think that they would play a role because they were just kind of mentioned out of nowhere quite a bit into the book already. So Yeah. Yeah, I don't really know what I was expecting, but it was this was definitely not it. And I, I'm not really sure how to discuss the book because there's a lot going on. And I was just making notes today and I like part of me thinks was he in purgatory? Was he dreaming the whole thing? Did it really mm. happen? You know, it's not really clear at the end what went on. Yeah. Um, so, I suppose it's. So I'm gonna I'm gonna come out and say I didn't like it. Okay. Yeah. I found it really difficult to read and. <laughs> There were there were times where I was really I'd much rather be doing anything other than trying to finish this book, mm-hmm. um, especially with all the knitting that I'm trying to do at the moment. Um, so when I was writing my notes, I stopped halfway through and tried to dissect why I wasn't enjoying it, and I think it was that whole I couldn't really tell where the story was going and what it was doing, and I think it was more a consequence of the writing rather than necessarily the story. Mm-hmm. Like you say, the fact that Jonathan and Anna just got kind of brought into the story at some point and we we got introduced to the concept that his mother was dying of cancer and he was seeing a psychiatrist and his father was obviously involved in the Enigma Project, um, which is the sort of spying and the spy, um, the decoding project that the English were doing during World War Two, mm-hmm. And... Those were all things that I was hoping were going to be really important to the story. And while they are important in that they are making Jonathan feel dissatisfied with his life because he's a 12-year-old boy and things have changed. He's lost his mother. His dad is not interested in him. He's got this new stepmother and stepbrother or half-brother. They... I found them much more interesting than the retelling of the fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And the Jonathan and Anna arc. And I can't tell if that's because a lot of the fairy tales were just sort of added in to, like, the woodkeeper telling Jonathan a story or Roland telling Jonathan a story than then actually having any significance to the adventure that we were on. Mm-hmm. And so halfway through, I made a note that was Jonathan the woodsman and Anna Red Riding Hood, because Red Riding Hood is this evil woman who goes off and mates with the wolves and creates the loops, mm-hmm. which is like, what? Yeah, um, I think it was at that point when I realised this is probably not going to be a children's book. Ex- that's exactly when I realised it as well. And then as I went further into it, one of the things that I really picked up on was that all of the women were evil and all of the men were the heroes. Mm -hmm. And I think once I'd made that realisation, that's when it became a chore and Mm -hmm. I was really like, oh, for crying out loud, why are we doing this to ourselves again? (laughs) (laughs) 
I feel quite similar to you. I wouldn't maybe categorically say that I didn't like it because mm. there were many aspects of it that I did like, but it wasn't the kind of book that I was looking forward to coming back to. So while mm. I was reading it, I was really in the story and I liked it. But once I put it down, it was kind of a struggle to pick it up again, if that makes sense. So mm. I only really finished. I mean, I think I would have finished it anyway if I was reading it, but mm. there wasn't really that, oh, I can't wait to see what happens next kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, I didn't quite make the connection, but it's absolutely true of what you said that all the women... Where the, all the female characters were portrayed as evil and all the male characters were the heroes. I hadn't mm. made that connection in my mind. I just wrote down, lack of female characters. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they, the ones that are there are, are there quite briefly. Um, yes. But, like, again, I think because it's a retelling of fairy tales, it doesn't surprise me. Because most fairy tales are written like this. You have the mm. the prince or the knight in shining armor and the damsel in distress that needs to be saved. Yeah. Um, I suppose it would have been maybe interesting if he had subverted that trope because all of the fairy tales that he was featuring in this book were subverted. Like it wasn't mm. the original. Something was happening that was unlike the fairy tale that we mm. know. Yes. Um, I do like that it that it stuck with the non Disneyfied versions, mm-hmm. um, even though they were then distorted even further than they were already distorted, which I think was quite a feat because <laughs> mm-hmm. they were pretty dark originally anyway. Yeah, it does seem like it was almost like two novels that he kind of merged into one, because as you say, the beginning maybe, I don't know, five, six chapters, like quite a big chunk of the book was just about David's normal life Mm. in the normal world. Um, And then suddenly we completely switch gears and we're in a complete fairy tale land. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think it just bothers me not really understanding what was the point, as in... That's exactly, yeah. Because... I, I, like, I understand that he needed to... It was a coming-of-age story, obviously. David mm. needs to to grow up a little bit, come to terms with the fact that his father has a new wife and they have a new baby, of whom he's quite jealous because he feels like the baby's getting all the attention now. And I suppose these are perfectly normal feelings for a young boy or girl to have in that situation. So... I suppose it just needed some kind of impetus to get over it and just, mm. you know, come to terms with it. I'm just not sure why it had to happen this horrible, horrible way. <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm trying to. Th- I'm trying to think about if we hadn't had that, would the book have made more sense? And I feel like it might have done. I feel like the whole. I guess the reason that all happens is because at the end David has to make a choice about whether or not he is going to take Jonathan's place and become the new king. Mm-hmm. Did I, have I been calling him Jonathan? You called David Jonathan at one point, yes, but... Oh, that's going to be confusing for everybody, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
the fact that he has to make the choice about whether or not he takes Jonathan's place and ultimately it's about whether or not he wants to go back to his old life or not is what that decision rests on. I don't understand why he would have made the choice that he made given how unhappy he was in his normal life because even though he's gone through the journey and heard the stories and started to feel like maybe he was treating Georgie, his new half-brother, unfairly, especially having spoken to, is it Anna? Mm-hmm. I don't feel that that's enough to justify the fact that he chose not to stay in this world. Well, to be honest, I don't see how he would have decided anything else. Like, to me, it didn't feel like a decision at all. Because mm. this, this, you know, as unhappy as he was in the real world... This, this world was still was, infinitely awful. Yeah, like it More was awful. just horrible. Mm. Yeah, and in that case, why did we go through all of that rubbish at the beginning? Because if this was the only choice that he was ever going to make, then what was the point? He could have just been a kid growing up in a house. He finds out that his mother has this lost uncle. He finds a book and he comes in. We didn't need all of the padding that that part of the story got. Mm. So one of the things that you said while you were talking about the genders was interesting in that you said something about the hero was uh, I can't remember exactly what you said but anyway it's made me think about one of the things I did like so I racked my brains to come up with things I liked (laughs) because I'm sick of only ever podcasting the bad things is what it feels like although I don't think that's what we do actually do and one of the things I really liked was that Roland was gay He was the knight in shining armour who was heading off to rescue the man that he loved. Mm -hmm. And that was never explicitly said, but it was heavily, heavily implied. And you sort of knew from the word go that that's what the case was. Mm -hmm. And I did like that element of it because although, yes, we're still stuck in a world where the female's always the bad person and the hero's always the male we are starting to get that less homogenous element of sexuality coming in to clever literature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I did like Roland's character, and I did like that part of the book, as you say. I mean, apart from actually explicitly saying... I am a homosexual. It was, as you say, very clearly stated. And Mm. to the point where David makes the connection that in his world, Mm. this is... This would not be okay. This would absolutely not be okay. Which during, Mm. I I suppose this took place early 1940s? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this book was... Like, considering no sex actually took place, place like sexual acts were referenced a lot Mm. and um, most of them not good most of them non-consensual for sure Mm -hmm. Um, there was mention of pedophilia there was mention of bestiality there was 
probably incest at some point, even though. Yeah. 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 There was, I was mostly kind of surprised. Um, it was near the end of the book when the crooked man, this chapter is basically almost like him fondly remembering all the horrible things that he's done to people throughout his life. Oh, I know. And one of them was that they would, what was it? That, that they would put a child in a room with two naked adults and then they would tell the child about all the naughty things that adults do at night. Yeah. Oh, so gross. Oh. Yeah. That that whole chapter was just completely unnecessary. It felt like there that was an author trying to just get out all this awful stuff onto paper and into a book. Because mm. I don't think it lent anything. We already knew the Crooked Man was horrible. We didn't need any yeah. of the detail that came along with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, ugh. Anyway, so the Crooked Man, as I don't know if it was stated in the book, but basically he's based on Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. From the Brothers Grimm. And yeah, they did state that at some point. I think Jonathan talked about it, or maybe Anna. Okay. And I was trying to find out a bit more about him, because I've, I've heard the name, so I, I was kind of vaguely aware that such a character existed, but I didn't actually know what his deal was. And mm. um, apparently he appears to people who want to make a bargain. That's about as far as the similarities to the original Brothers Grimm fairy tale goes. Mm. Um he basically grants a wish, and then in return for the wish, he wants the firstborn of the woman whose wish he's granted. Um, but I don't... So I think he's supposed to be like the trickster, basically, which is what he is yeah. in the book. Yeah. I'm trying to think what I, what I liked. So there was something else I liked while well, you think. Go on, yeah. Once I got to the chapter about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, obviously because of us and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then I really liked how Snow White wasn't your typical feminine, you know, fainting. I suppose we're in a rock and a hard place here because all of the beautiful princesses from the fairy tales are now awful not princesses and they're actually all quite dark and I'm complaining about all the females being dark, and now I'm saying I liked that she wasn't, um, you know, wasn't a fainting princess. And I feel like that's because there is a good middle ground, and neither of those options is it. But I, I found the Seven Dwarves chapter relatively funny. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that is potentially a relatively problematic opinion, having read some of the reviews on Goodreads and seen how people are saying that there's a lot of, not necessarily fat shaming, but linking body types to personalities. So I didn't even really, it, that didn't occur to me. To me, it was just sort of a fondness of, this is quite funny, and I love that the dwarves are slightly homicidal and communists, although I think that that is... A relatively um, popular change that is made to to the dwarves, but yeah, it, I that I enjoyed that idea. Mm -hmm. Me too. I completely agree. Um, I think that was probably 
the most lighthearted, let's say, yes, chapter and the least gruesome fairy tale retelling. Yes. Yes. I also found it quite funny, especially the I found the dwarves funny. I didn't find Snow White funny at all. I just found the dwarves and <laughs> as you say there's slight <laughs> homicidal tendencies and the fact that they yeah. they tried to kill her but it didn't work and so they had to go like through a whole trial and they have to live with her anyway. Yeah. Um, and they were just like please oh please just find a knight in shining armor and send him to us. <laughs> yeah. Um so I I I quite like that. Mm. And I mean I liked the beginning of the book. Yeah. And I liked the idea that he could hear the books talking. I thought that yes. was really that was really clever. And what else did I like? I liked that his father was involved in the Enigma project. Mm. Again, never specifically stated, but he was clearly a spy and he moved to North London. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I wonder why that was. Perhaps because that's, you know, Bletchley Park, which is where all the decoding happened, is near North London. Mm-hmm. I liked Anna as a character. I know she was in it very briefly and her whole story was really tragic, but I liked that she had that effect on David, that you know, hearing her mm. story, I think, was the final push that David needed to make that decision at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And much, I think much like David, I felt cheated by the book of Lost Things. And the fact that yes. it ended up just being... A diary, basically. Jonathan's diary that he somehow managed mm-hmm. to bring with him into this world, even though that's not really clear how that happened. Yeah, I was really kind of like David, I think, hoping that this book will have all the answers that I need. <laughs> it just didn't have any. It was just a, mm. a red yeah. herring. Is that, is that the term? Mm. Yes, I think so. I, I, really liked, I really liked the beginning of the book. I think I... If you allow me to go off into imagination land at the moment, I would have preferred, instead of having it section one and section two, and then a brief brief revisit to the real world at the end, I would have preferred it to have been David starts having these psychological problems and he visits this world and it gets broken up. The visits to the world and the adventure get broken up perhaps by real life and perhaps each Mm -hmm. one happens when he has an episode because it's sort of all implied that it's... Well, it's supposed to be the land of the dead, isn't it? Is what we find out at the end of the book. Yes, that is what the ending makes you believe that it is, yes. Yeah. Um, So it's sort of... I guess I would have I don't really know I'm I'm losing faith in my opinion now I I would have I think I think it would have been more interesting if he'd been having these episodes and the episode of him meeting Jonathan and Anna and the big showdown with the crooked man 
was a milestone in his psychological treatment where the the, ther- the therapist he was seeing had got to the bottom of something that was causing this trauma and had helped David out of his, or through the trauma of losing his mother and all the other bits that happen. And then for us to perhaps revisit the land of the dead at the end like it does. But again, I I sort of felt like that was a little Mm -hmm. bit unnecessary. I think that would have made it much more interesting to me. Hmm. Rather than what we got, which was just like... Like you say, it was just two separate stories that Mm. had no relevance to each other. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I just keep thinking back to it and I just keep thinking, I don't understand what actually happened. And that frustrates me. Because Mm. I think when I was, while I was reading it, I imagined, actually, what did I imagine? I think I thought that he was missing in the real world the whole time, as in he had actually physically traveled to a mm. different world through the his the, the garden that they have in the back. But mm. then when we reach the end of the book and he's back in the real world, it seems like he was there all along, physically there, as in his body was there, mm. it was just kind of covered by the rubble after the plane crashes in their garden. And so that's why they couldn't find him. Which then really just makes me think that this, mm. that because he was in a coma, this was all just happening in his head, that it wasn't real. Yeah. And I kind of wish that it had been real. Yeah. Well, maybe it was a metaphor for um, him. <sighs> that's a really interesting, I'd forgotten about that. He was in. He was ho- covered under the rubble, and maybe he was mm. hovering between life and death. And then the fact that he made the choice mm-hmm. at the end is what made him stay alive. Whereas maybe when Jonathan and Anna were out exploring in the woods, something happened to them that similarly had them on the edge of life and death. And because of the choice that was made, they died and remained in the world. I'd I'd completely forgotten about the rubble bit, and I also completely interrupted you. No, that's that's all I wanted to say. I was just confused that it it made me feel like it was probably all happening in his head, and yeah, I think it would have been more powerful if it had actually happened to him. Yes, in some magical way. I quite liked the the last chapter. I I like that we find out you know how his life goes. What happens to him? And the fact that he mm. does go back. Which again makes me think that you're probably right and it was some sort of afterlife purgatory type thing. Because mm. when he does go back, you know, he he meets his, his wife and baby who had died during childbirth. Yeah. So. I think the fundamental crux of it, you really make me think here, and I suppose this is why it's really good to talk about books, because if that is what was intended or even if it's not if that's how I've chosen to interpret it it is really quite clever and it improves the overall book in my opinion and it all sort of comes down to why do we read in the first place and I think maybe if I had come into this thinking this is a a study on literature 
I might have been more receptive to the adventure that we got instead of thinking, this is a fantasy book and this is nonsense. It doesn't make sense to me, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's. I think the whole thing is just that neither of us are particularly clear on why the book was written. <laughs> what the intention is, are we? No. Um, so I think one more thing that I... I did like, or actually that, that kind of pleasantly surprised me because at the beginning, when he goes to the, the parallel world, the fairy tale world, it seems like everything is happening to him. He's not really doing anything as such. He, he's saved by the woodsman. The woodsman takes him to his hut. Then the woodsman, woodsman takes him, you know, is going to take him to the king. Um, then the woodsman dies. But then he's very quickly, you know, found by the dwarves and they helped him. So it's start- I started to feel like, okay, yeah. it's going to be another one of those things keep happening to the main character yeah. kind of stories. But the main character doesn't actually do anything. And then I like that he starts doing things. So when Roland basically goes into the castle and doesn't come back out, it is David on his own initiative who decides that he will go and try and save him. And yeah. I think maybe that's the kind of turning point in his character as well. Yeah. That's the, you know, the coming of age kind of moment where he gains his own agency and he starts doing things for himself. And that's also when he meets the crooked man face to face and has a proper sort of conversation with him for the first time as well and starts to make decisions mm. about what happens going forward. Although that interaction that he has with the crooked man, I found it really frustrating and I, I just, the fact that he immediately believes what the crooked man says, that, oh, you're a father and, you know, everyone is, they don't miss you at all, they're happy that you're gone, you know, mm. you were just a burden to everyone. I mean, I know that that's kind of the point of the book, that that's how he felt, but, like, that didn't seem realistic to me at all. I think that's a difficult one, because that also speaks to sort of how we behave and how we believe in ourselves and our own self-image. Because Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if... Let's take a really basic thing if somebody says to you you're fat or you're looking fat or you look like you've put weight on you will immediately the next time you look in the mirror start being more critical about oh god I have put a bit of weight on whereas if somebody says to you you look like you've lost weight you're looking a bit skinnier Mm -hmm. you're what you're looking for when you go to the mirror is I'm looking skinnier and therefore you can then find instances where things are looking skinnier And um, I think it translates. So if he's already thinking, oh, they don't care about me, then being told that people don't care about him is more likely to reinforce that than for him to be like, oh, you're talking nonsense. Mm. But it is also fair enough that you got frustrated because it is always frustrating when... Like if I were saying to you, oh, I feel, I'm feeling really fat. And you, you're going, don't be ridiculous, you're not. You know, I can see why that is frustrating as well. Hmm. It is, it's a really interesting commentary on how perceptions are different across people's experiences. 
Yeah. So then there were, actually there were two fairy tales that I couldn't find the origin for. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I was just searching for it wrong. Or maybe you, you know. So we obviously, we had a retelling of Hansel and Gretel. We had Little Red Riding Hood, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. I didn't realize that all of these had been written by the Brothers Grimm, but they have been. They mm -hmm. were. Then there was a story about the prince and the servant who swap places. And David makes the comment that he knows a similar tale, but in his fairy tale version, it was a princess and her servant. So that's also by the Brothers Grimm, and it's called The Goose Girl. Hmm. But what did you make of the huntress who was killing animals and people and then making animal-human hybrids? Is that a fairy tale that you know? I think I just... Um, I just sort of thought of it as an explanation of centaurs because of Greek you know, or Greek mythology, because we also have the harpies, haven't we? Mm hmm So I just sort of felt like there was an element where Greek myths and legends were being brought in as well. Okay. I don't know of any story. Because there's also the monster that attacks the town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wondered, I don't know anything about that, but I did also wonder if that was another Greek creature. I see. That hadn't occurred to me. I think because once I started seeing the link that it was all Brothers Grimm, I Grimm. think I just thought that everything was Grimm. Mm. But you might be right. Maybe he was just bringing in many different myths and legends and yeah. fairy tales. Uh, because he also had the trolls under the bridge, didn't he? And I don't know mm. if that's the Brothers Grimm. Yeah, I don't know who first came up with trolls. Billy Goat's, Billy Goat's Gruff. It's a Norwegian folktale. Okay. I'm trying to think, because we had Red Riding Hood as well. Well, you've already mentioned that, but I was wondering if the loops were anything in particular. They sort of made me think of werewolves. Mm. So whether there was supposed to be a hybridization of some big bad creature along with also the story of Red Riding Hood. Because also the the end where we've got Jonathan sitting in the castle ruling the land mm -hmm. and he's not actually ruling, he just thinks he is, but the crooked man is the one who's making all the decisions. I wondered if there was a story that that was supposed to be a retelling of, or if that was an original part of this story. Mm -hmm. yeah, but I again, know. I yeah, it's it's really difficult to know what you don't know, isn't it? <laughs> I think it. I think another one of the things that kind of annoyed me a little bit about the whole thing was that the lack of originality in terms of just pulling together a bunch of stories. And using yeah. them as the main flesh of the adventure. Yeah, I agree. I wonder if if someone were to have a lot more fondness for fairy tales, it would be different. 
It would be really interesting if anybody who's listening to this has read the book and has a very different opinion on it and and what their relationship with normal fairy tales normal in inverted commas is because I would say that my relationship with fairy tales is I know them I'm not particularly I don't really like or dislike them in any with any particular fondness or you know I don't remember them to be a really important part of my childhood mm. yeah I would probably agree with that I mostly know them from Disney yeah because I wonder how, you know, that affects your perception of a book like this. Mm-hmm. Was there a Beauty and the Beast? I'm trying to think of all the Disney films that... I was wondering if the fairy tale of the knight Alexander who is wounded and then he's saved by a lady in a veil and she keeps him locked in the tower... Mm. And they fall in love without having ever actually seen each other because she's always under the veil and then she takes the veil off and she has the face of a monster. I did wonder if that was supposed to be Beauty and the Beast, but yeah, maybe. with the roles reversed. Or maybe, um, who's the one who lives in the tower with the long hair? Rapunzel. Rapunzel. Yeah, maybe. It's an interesting, I think you could probably... There's probably elements of loads of different stories that you could find in here, because there's also the the flowers that are dead children, which was terrifying. Mm-hmm. That was the first... It's the first thing that David sees when he enters the forest. And that's when I was like, ooh, maybe this is not a child's book. <laughs> it made me yes. think of Alice in Wonderland. You know, the Disney version with the flowers who've got faces. Mm-hmm. Mm. So if you were to rate this out of five, what would you give it? Before we talked, I would have rated it one out of five. Since we started talking, I'm going to give it a two out of five. Because I like the metaphor that I may have entirely made up of it being the experience of life hanging on the edge of life or death what about Mm. you I gave it a three and I'm pretty happy with that I think it was a pretty average book yeah um I don't really know if there's anything else that I really want to add I wrote a very brief summary of what I thought it might um of my thoughts, I suppose, and that's it's an interesting play on existing stories and an exploration of literature, but I didn't know who it was aimed at and I didn't really like it. I think that pretty much sums up how I feel as well. I don't really tend to write my thoughts, I just kind of make notes. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to be a bit more... Um, Basically, because of my memory, I'm trying to be a bit more structured about how I do it. So I look up sort of who the characters are in the story before we record. And like with this one, I wrote down a very rough timeline of events. Because Mm. especially when it's a book that I've not particularly felt great about, I really can't remember what's happened in it much, much beyond finishing it. And I think I finished this one last week sometime. 
Mm. And actually, this is another one of those books that has made me take a break from reading because quite often what I do is I'll read the podcast book and then I'll read another book in between. And this week I've not read any. I've just been like, okay, let's uh, let's just take a bit oh. of a break. <laughs> I, ah, okay. I, I I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just sometimes because I read so quickly, I get so many things in my head and then I don't want to jump straight into another book once I've had a relatively unsettling experience with a book because I want to give myself a bit of time to recover, whether that's... It's, it's the same as with... Um, uh, Court of Thorns and Roses, you know, I took a break between the third and the fourth books because I was getting so into it that I needed to give myself a bit of a rest and will a bit of a rest, whereas with this one it was the sort of opposite where I was like, okay, I really didn't like this, let's have a bit of a break. Because I think I otherwise I would have, you know, experienced burnout. Mm. Yeah, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, I know you, you read it quite quickly. Yeah. I usually, as with most things almost leave it a bit last minute so that it's still fresh in my mind so I only finished it yesterday no Monday um I think my thing is I sorry carry on I was gonna say and immediately picked up another book Mm. which I had stopped reading in order to read this one that's the third one in the darker shade of magic yes I saw that on goodreads today (laughs) not that I was stalking you Um, oh no of course not (laughs) yeah I think I maybe it's a bit of anxiety related to school days and studying and all that but I because my life can be relatively unpredictable in terms of what I end up doing on a day-to-day basis I'm scared I'm not gonna meet the deadline so I sort of like to do it and get it over with I was one of those kids who would come home from school and immediately do all my homework so I guess that's the equivalent (laughs) is I'm immediately doing all my homework (laughs) (laughs) is there anything else that you would like to touch on before we wrap up No, the only thing I keep coming back to is um, that probably my favorite part was the talking books. And the more I think back on it, I keep remembering the specific scenes in which you would hear the books talking. And Mm. I really liked that they each had a personality almost depending on what genre they were in. Yeah. So the fact that when he was in the psychiatrist office and obviously the psychiatrist would have all the textbooks serious books and you, yes and they would talk in these really stuffy voices and then mm. they would sometimes they would agree with the psychiatrist but if they didn't agree they would call him an idiot yeah <laughs> i just found that quite funny yeah so. i love that as well i think that was the bit that i was like oh this is going to be an awesome book and then <laughs> yeah. same so on that note, I, I literally can't remember. I know I've chosen the next book, but I can't remember which one it is. It's A Death at Fountains Abbey. A Death at Fountains Abbey. By Antonia Hodgson. What would I do without you? I don't know. I have it open in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And yes, I will give all my motivations for picking it next time. Excellent. I know nothing about it. Like, I haven't even read the synopsis for this one, so I'm going in completely blind. Okay, cool. Um, But I do intend to finish the third book in the Darker Shades of Magic before I go into that one. Cool. 
Excellent. I've got an actual physical copy of this book, so that's going to be an exciting novelty for me. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah. So, Excellent. yeah. I think it's really interesting that we both have relatively similar opinions. I think we really differed on A Thousand Doors of January, 10,000 Doors of January. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, we've been relatively close to each other in how we felt about books. I think so, yeah. And it's interesting that the types of books that we're choosing are very different. As in, I yeah. kind of just go for fantasy pretty much all the time. And yeah. then I made a conscious effort to sprinkle in something else as well. Yeah. Um, and you've just kind of been putting in pretty much yeah, so and everything. Yeah, so I'm... I am really going for books that challenge me, which is maybe not fair to you, but whatever. <laughs> that's no, my that's, that's my choice. But I'm also, <laughs> you know, I'm also getting a lot of recommendations from people. So there aren't many books that I've sort of been recommended them based on my taste. There are a lot of books that have been recommended to me based on what other people have liked. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll maybe the next time I start looking at what books I'm going to do, I'll start looking at some that I think I might actually like. <laughs> maybe we'll have a bit more success with those. I'm really hoping the next one's good. But, Me too. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we do. Oh, I don't know. I'm not going to jinx it. I'm not going to say what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at our list of books now, and. I mean, based on the titles, it's, you know, sometimes hard to tell, but of the ones that I do know vaguely what they're about, none of them are happy. (laughs) No, maybe we should start sprinkling some, like, beach reads in, you know. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. I want to fall in love and get married and have a baby, and that's all that I want with my life, and that's what I'm going to talk about. Maybe, maybe, uh, (laughs) we should find a few of those. Some like light rom coms. Yeah. Yes, yes. All right. I'm gonna. I'll. I'll make that my task the next time I'm on a investigative mission. Excellent. Okay. So if there isn't anything else, then I think we nope. can sign off here. And I look forward to talking to you next time about a death at Fountains Abbey. Looking forward to. It. I'll see you soon. Excellent. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can send your feedback, thoughts, questions and book recommendations to us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram as readingmaterialspod. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Until next time, keep reading!